Hello, welcome to Your Courageous Journey. This is Julie Farber. And this is Julie Sickles. And today we're going to be interviewing my neighbor and friend, David Lund. I want to introduce Dave. He is an incredible person. He's a husband and father, which he considers his most important roles. For his day job, as he calls it, he works in the computer field. And he completely owns being a nerd, which I love because nerds are the best. Um, As his part-time job, he is a college professor at Fortis College, teaching electrical and HVAC courses. He's been teaching for 11 years and has won several awards teaching, including Teacher of the Year, Teacher of the Decade, and a nationally rated one called Circle of Excellence. He is a faithful member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He's very humble, and he gives credit for all of his accomplishments to God. And one really interesting fact that I learned about Dave as we did this interview is that he was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome about three or so years ago. So it's kind of more of a recent diagnosis. And it really helped him to understand a lot about his life and his relationships and his family. Um, He loves his wife and his four children. Early on in his marriage, his wife did most of the raising of his children. And as they've learned to how to navigate with this diagnosis, it's helped him to really connect with his family and to identify how he can really build those relationships that he wants most. And I was listening to Dave one day, we go to church together, and he was sharing an experience that he had in his life that was so powerful that I wanted to share with all of you listeners. Um, So I want to start off by talking a little bit about Dave's background and his history before we get into this great story. Uh, When Dave was growing up. He was being raised by two parents who did not create the best family life. Specifically, his mother was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. And he really describes that his childhood was full of a lot of chaos, um, that it was very messy. Uh, With the paranoid schizophrenia, his mother could have these delusions about reality and what was really happening around them. He really describes that she could be quite physically and emotionally abusive towards him and his siblings and would just do really bizarre and odd and strange things. Like he talked about how he would collect just random like little stuffed animals, even though he was living in like a two-bedroom duplex with six kids and two parents. Like there wasn't really room to collect stuff, but she would collect stuff. And she was very concerned about an FBI agent named Larry who she thought was always after them. And so she would be having the family do strange stuff. And he said it was just really hard as a kid because his parents would, would act and react in certain ways that didn't make a lot of sense. Like sometimes his mom would go through these moments of euphoria and both of his parents would act like everything was totally normal and perfect and everything was great. And in the meantime, the kids were filled with moments of being very worried and concerned about what's going to happen next. And just kind of, he talked about the ups and downs of being in that abusive environment was just such a struggle for the family. Um, And he said that uh, when he was around age 12, he could really see kind of through the lie of what his parents were telling him, right? That parents were telling the kids that everything's good, our family is great, but he could see that this was not a great situation. So he did end up reaching out to some people and telling them what was going on. And all of uh, the sibling, him and his siblings were removed from his home. He and his one of his sisters were placed with his paternal aunt and she and her husband ended up adopting him. His other siblings ended up going to other family members' homes. And he described just really being able to um, kind of meld into this new family environment and really receive the benefits from kind of more stability Um He had two cousins that now he considers his siblings that are kind of between him and his younger sister. And so kind of grew up in that family of six from the age of 12 on. Uh, At that point in his life, he did not have any contact with his 
mother or his father and really talks about how he had a lot of baggage, a lot of anger, a lot of resentment, and really kind of these feelings of hate about the things that had happened to him when he was young before the age of 12. Yeah, I think for my perspective or understanding of it, I think because he's 12, I mean, 12 is still a young kid, um, but you're still old enough. I I don't know. I have two kids of my own and 12 is when they really started to want to be more independent doing things on their own and you know my son would help me chop vegetables and he just thought it was so great that he could you know was allowed to use a giant knife and things like that you know so 12 is a I don't know to me it's it's where you're really starting to be independent and so I to it's an older kid yeah well there's definitely a developmental stage that happens uh kind of between those ages of 8 and 12 and around the age around that time you start to actually kids become aware of their thinking and their thoughts. Before that, kids kind of live in a state of unconscious. They just do what they do. They don't know why. They don't have thoughts like that. But at 12, you can really start to realize that you have thoughts and other people have thoughts, and you can choose if you're going to act on those thoughts or uh, you know, make decisions based on what those thoughts are. So it does kind of make sense that he was starting to put the pieces together about that age. Um, but I also kind of find it fascinating, right? People on the autism spectrum, their their brains are kind of set up differently. The way they think is different. And I, I think that there's probably a, a piece here where probably him having Asperger's was kind of a protective factor for him growing up in that abusive environment. You know, as his parents reality wasn't even set in their own minds and they were kind of trying to recreate reality for their children, the Asperger's probably helped him to be able to see very, very clearly, this is what is true and this is what is not true. And what my parents are saying is not true and this is not safe. This is not a good place for me. This is not a good place for my my siblings, which I think is really interesting. Well, yeah, but you know, another thing too, that goes along with what you're saying, he mentioned, so he had described his life with his biological parents as aggressive and abusive, but he never went into any sort of detail at all about that. And we didn't ask, which is fine. But he did mention one thing. He said, uh, for him, it was always chaotic, regardless. I mean, his parents seemed to go through this like up and down stage of, you know, where things were really scary, but then they also went through parts where they thought everything was fine and happy and good, but he said he could always see through the lie. Um, and there were, there were points where I guess his, his parents would try to tell him, no, this isn't what happened. This thing that you experienced didn't happen like that. It was like this instead. So, which is gaslighting. So, you know, he did give a small example of kind of the things he went through abuse-wise. Um, and to me, I think it was really amazing that he never really second-guessed that. I think at one point, you know, when he was 12, he he did realize, even though they were trying to convince him that... Everything's fine, yeah. Yeah, he's like, no, it's not, you know? And I think I think when abusers use that gaslighting technique, I think a lot of times they are successful to some degree. It makes people second guess. Really? Am I crazy? Am I the one who's imagining this? But he never did. He was able to, you know, recognize that truth and be able to. Like stand up and yeah, and make a difference for sure. For sure. Which is really amazing. And, and um, I just think that that's such a brave thing to do at the age of 12, As right? As a 12-year-old, like, exactly. I know. I mean, just incredible. And just the impact that it's had on his life and his siblings' life, lives to be able to get out of that environment. And I thought it was really interesting. He mentioned that uh, once all of the kids were removed, his mother was institutionalized. And then always after that, really had to remain 
receiving care because of her serious mental health issues. And for the rest of her life. For the rest of her life. And so I just can't even imagine as a kid being raised by someone who really couldn't even take care of themselves, right? This is an individual who was really suffering in and of themselves, did not have the capacity to understand reality um, or even take care of themselves. But for a while, those poor kids were kind of, um, you know, in that, in a not good, a very not good situation. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm just amazed. And I just love the courage that he had at such a young age to stand up for himself and for his siblings and just find that really amazing. Yeah. So for me, where this interview started getting really powerful, um, we were asking him different questions and Julie Sickles ended up asking him a question about um, being in contact with his parents. And he had decided that he never wanted to have contact with them. And it wasn't until a few years ago that he started having contact in some to some degree yeah just a small small amount yeah his he he'd gone to a birthday dinner with his father once um but he had never seen his mother but uh, kind of where this story kind of starts what we want to where we kind of want to start and, and start sharing some of uh some of dave's words is where he talks about uh, his experience of attending his mother's funeral. So once he was removed from his home, he did not have any contact with his mom, but he did end up going to her funeral and had a very interesting experience. So we're going to start sharing from where Dave was explaining how his wife encouraged him to go to his mother's funeral. She suggested that I go, and I think I actually turned her down. Oh, okay. And that's when the follow-up sense or feeling was you will go and okay. it seemed to be upstairs or God saying hey <laughs> yeah. you're going like it or not and so I think that was the the final conclusion final decider why I went okay. and what was your experience going to your biological mother's funeral that one was real hard I went to my birth mom's funeral bitter because I think it was fair to say that I hated her. After years of abuse, of aggress of aggressive life, uh, it you it's like that analog that analogy of a backpack full of rocks. Mm-hmm. I mean it was heavy, and going to the funeral actually felt like throwing a few more rocks in that backpack just for good measure. But I went, and what amazed me was I found out she was completely crazy. Mm. And I realized that I realized that I was the one. That was wrong. Mm. And I, even through her funeral, I couldn't shake just the hateful feelings mm. because they were very real. They were, they were there. One detail that is really relevant or good to know is the Sunday before the funeral. Um, there were some service missionaries that had come, and it was at the LDS church. And as I was talking to the the visiting service missionaries, I actually ended up talking to the wife. And she, she was saying thank you for being able to share, uh, share some of my thoughts. But she actually said that people with um, mental illness are actually, it's kind of like a handicap. Mm. And that, that thought hung with me for the whole week leading up to my mother's funeral. So after the funeral, 
thoughts came into my mind of my birth mother is actually a choice spirit, and someday I would look up to her. Wow. And that her her mental illness was a handicap to protect her against this world. Mm-hmm. And that really to put it bluntly, pissed me off. Because I thought, God, why? Why did it have to... Why did it have to potentially mess up so many lives? But the thought came back, well, if it wasn't so, would you have changed to become who you are today? Oh, wow. And God got me on that one. I realized, no, I wouldn't have been able to change. Because, yes, I'm stubborn and have Mm -hmm. some arrogance. The most amazing thing that happened for me was after the funeral, starting the day and through the day, having that bitter hatred, the heavy feeling of rocks in your backpack, Mm -hmm. But by that night, it was gone. Wow. And I thought, how can that possibly be? Because I know, I absolutely know what I lived with for all these years. And to have such a heavy load that I made the choice not to have any contact with my birth parents. And then suddenly to have peace. In my opinion, that is absolute, irrefutable proof that the atonement works. Mm. I don't know how. I don't know anything Mm. else about it, but it absolutely works. So we just wanted to jump in at this point and explain the term atonement for those of you who might be unfamiliar with it. And in our church, we use the word atonement to describe the power of God that we can utilize in our lives in order to help lift and support us and strengthen us, or to also help us to change and to grow. And now we will continue on with Dave's interview. Since then, I have tried to keep my, my story quiet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what I've noticed is when people go through challenges, they're able to gain an empathy, an insight, and sharply you're able to pick out and see people who are going through similar challenges or people that are on the same road that don't know what's going to hit them yet. Mm-hmm. But you're able to reach out and you're able to share what you've gone through mm-hmm. and successes and failures, but it's amazing how it seems to help them out. And so by and by, uh, there's been the promptings or feelings of to share your story, to share the experience, and I've been amazed a little bit by a little bit, just how it seems to have been able to help others. And I think the biggest thing is we we talk about faith and it's tempting to try to uh, point out a particular faith or a particular faith tradition. But the thing that's amazing is I don't think we're like hobby we're not a hobby faith or a hobby Christian where we only go to church on when it's convenient by tradition or when we feel like we want to, like Christmas or Easter. But what what I found is that God is mingling with every aspect of our life. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways is that God is constantly involved in every aspect of our life, and it doesn't matter what faith we are. We all share that same journey. And that is the amazing connection that we're able to have when we're able to to share with other people. 
because regardless of faith, or even if they're trying to listen (laughs) to faith, they can quickly identify those similarities of life. But then there are a lot of those miracles or blessings that play out, I think, in many people's lives, and they may not have recognized it until they see they see it happen in someone else's life, and then they kind of have a awakening, a clarity of, whoa, so that explains what I just lived through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good. I like it. Well, and I, I like that it can offer people hope. You know, when we go through those really hard experiences, especially when we've been a victim of something that we we didn't have a choice about, right? Someone made certain decisions and it impacted our life and it affected us in a really big way. It can be really hard to continue moving forward with that backpack on and having those hard negative feelings. <clears throat> can impact so many areas of your life. So to have the hope that that doesn't have to stay with you forever. The backpack can come off. What I found amazing is when someone is when when someone is going through a challenging time by choice, by self-infliction, <laughs> self-choice or by circumstance by others. Um it's hard to try to package. It's try to. It's hard to try to understand why, or or what did I do? Did I do something wrong, or did I did I have bad luck, or did I offend God, or something? And it's easy when you're vulnerable. It's easy to find offense. And what I realized is I had a faith crisis where I was mad at God because I was thinking, what did I do to deserve this or to live through hell? And what I found out is actually I was vulnerable. And because of my vulnerable state, I was easy to find offense. But what I, the correction that I received from upstairs was, so was my birth mother. She didn't ask for that mental illness. What did she do to deserve that? Mm. Nothing. Mm. Now, when I was actually upset when I had the thought that I would look up to my birth mother someday, I thought, how? Mm. But I realized, or I've learned since, that Honestly, I never knew my birth mother. Mm. Her whole existence was shrouded by the mental illness. So maybe in the next life, I'll actually have the chance to see my birth mother as she really is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the excitement comes in. And I'm not there. I'll have to admit that I'm not excited to meet her yet, but I do have hope, I do have faith that I will be able to move on. But there is that glimmer of excitement that's slowly building that I could at least see or that spark I could recognize now that, you know what, I will be able to someday meet my real mother. Yeah, and that's really, that's powerful that, that that hope can be there. And that sometimes it's these small little experiences put together that can completely change your perspective. And as that perspective changes, then our emotional experience of it changes in a really dramatic way. There was no way... I went to the funeral bitter, but by the end of the day, I, for the first time in my life, I was able to have empathy mm-hmm. or sympathy for my birth mother. That is amazing. But 
sense, you're right. Um, as you grow, as you have hope or maybe faith, and because you have one small experience, then it opens your heart, it opens your mind to be able to learn a little bit more. And over time, I mean, it's been just a few years since she passed away, but over time, little by little, you're right. You're able to learn and kind of see the bigger picture and then see the wisdom of what and why why life has played out how it did. Mm-hmm. And then finally to have an appreciation from the big perspective, from the big picture. So what would you say are some of those perspectives that you have been able to gain as you've bit by bit been able to change the way that you viewed things? What has helped you? I think the biggest one is you, well, two big ones, is the circumstances that we generally find ourselves, we probably can't pin ourselves, we can't pin faults of our own doing of why we're in those situations. Because you can beat yourself up for the rest of your life trying to second-guess yourself, of what did I do wrong or did I do something to deserve this? Well, probably not. Um, even, And I would even go so far to say that even if someone gains an addiction of smoking or something, we don't fully understand all the, the, in, the intricate circumstances of the situation where they started smoking, peer pressure, or to be popular, but the effects are profound. I mean, it leads to a potential lifetime of addiction struggles. So even if someone was trying to stop smoking, it's probably not the best of, well, why did I start smoking? Rather, it's just, where am I, where am I now? Where am I starting? Where can I go from there? And the second biggest thing was, I think, understanding that we do have a greater, whether we call him Heavenly Father or whatever we want to. Um, upstairs, as you like Upstairs, <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you're in your darkest moments, when you, when you can't go any further, we have a natural inclination to reach out to upstairs and just say, help. Mm-hmm. And I think God meets us where we're at because if, if God was trying to inter, interact too much, we may not have the experience to even comprehend. So if, if we're starting small and we ask upstairs for help, God will give us a little bit of help. Mm-hmm. As we understand more and we're capable of receiving more help, then God dumps it on. Mm-hmm. But And that's the excitement, is as we gain more understanding, uh, I think God keeps dishing out more and more and more until we gain a clarity of light, of understanding, where we truly comprehend upstairs we 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 can comprehend our our mission our purpose and that is the light that gives that gives us a new birth it gives us a new perspective on life it gives us a new energy and we can run with that and when we're running to live god's life um we're, we're still handicapped. We're still limited because those life experiences from those challenges, they never leave. And in many ways, they're, st- they're still there. But when you are hand-in-hand hand trying to live God's life, you don't need to try to live your own life because you're running with Him. And that has been the energy that I think has blessed me all these years. That you've been willing to walk hand in hand. That actually is a big part of it. I think when you hit rock bottom, where you you 
know you can't do anymore on your own. You have a choice to make. Are you going to live your own selfish life? Or are you going to live God's life? And if you choose to live God's life, He's calling the shots. He's in charge. So we have to let Him call the shots. And that's hard. But the refreshing thing is God's... I don't think he's ever let me down, not even once. And seeing that play out over and over again, it's just like I don't need to worry about trying to figure all of life out, especially when you have all of that baggage still there. The backpack, surprisingly, is still there. But it's kind of like when you're walking a little kid to school the rocks are still in that backpack. But it's like God has grabbed the back of the backpack mm. and he's pulling it up. So even though that backpack is still shouldered, it's still there. Every day, God is pulling the weight of that backpack so we don't feel it. Hmm. I can't explain how that's possible, but I know it's true. That's That's been your experience. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about something. Um, before this experience that happened on the day of your mother's funeral, were you aware of the weight of the backpack? Well, I discovered the weight of the backpack because as I got married had kids, and I didn't have an understanding of how dysfunctional I was. Mm. (laughs) I was quite dysfunctional. My wife, I like to credit her as almost being a single parent Mm -hmm. raising our kids, and she's done a fantastic job. But as, as you are living life, you come into a glitch. You come into a situation And then you gain a little more consciousness of the backpack. But after you get married and you have kids, you are exercised into a lot of situations. And so you can't help but quickly gain a collective comprehension of all the rocks in the backpack. Um, That The weight of the backpack was actually one of the reasons why I almost had a divorce, and I almost left the church or left my faith Mm -hmm. because I hit a point where I felt like I was trying to do, I was trying to do everything. But I realized in hindsight, I was trying to do everything on my own. And this whole time, God was trying to say, hey, take my hand. Let me help you. But... Because of my lack of understanding, I was trying to do it on my own. And that's where I hit rock bottom. Because I felt like with faith or my religion that if, if I'm trying to do all those, do everything right, and I'm, I've burnt my candle at both ends of the stick, and I'm starting to light it in the middle and burn from every possible end. Mm. It's like, God, what the hell is going on? My candle's going away. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah pretty soon there's, there's nothing there. Yeah. And when I had my faith crisis, I had a point where if I chose to go or if I chose to stay, I could have honestly... I could have honestly stated that I gave my best. Hmm. And I could have walked away with with full consciousness, with a full heart of knowing I really did my best. So I had that, and I think that's where the full clarity of the backpack kicked Hmm. in. And then I had the funeral to go to after. Hmm. And I hope that provides clarity of why that was the last thing I wanted to do. Mm. Because the backpack, just from trying to live life, was enough. Going to the funeral, as I anticipated, was a, a 
big weight added onto the already. But I think that's also what made the relief from the backpack Mm -hmm. so profound. And it's one of those things where it permanently changes your life. Because when you physically experience that, there's no denying it. Mm -hmm. And you can't discount it. You can't you can't assume coincidence or anything else. There is no other explanation. Right. Yeah. And well, and it even sounds like as you went through that experience, it wasn't like you were seeking relief from the backpack. You weren't looking to find forgiveness for your mother, but the pieces came in place for that change and that shift and then that physical feeling in your body was lifted. The change actually surprised me. It caught me off guard. The physical change? Yeah. It absolutely caught me off guard. Because it was harder at first, right? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's something that's really interesting that I think a lot of people um, have a hard time conceptualizing. You know, we... We talk about our emotions and our feelings all the time, but I feel like a lot of times our understanding about our emotions, we kind of think it's something in our head that we think. But emotions are actually physical sensations that we have in mm. our body. Yep. And, and so as you're talking about this experience, you had a lot of really difficult emotions over a lot of years when you're in those impressionable years when you're really young and that does lead to oftentimes these sensory emotions that we experience in our body i think it's safe to say that you figure that the rocks in the backpack is your normal life you Mm -hmm. just accept it and so i think as you're saying when i wasn't seeking a change or relief i wasn't because I thought that was, right, I thought that was life. And so when it was removed so quickly, um, it left me disoriented. I didn't Mm -hmm. know how to even comprehend what just happened. But Mm -hmm. the only thing I knew at that time was the weight was gone. Mm -hmm. And so it's just over time, over the last two years, I've been able to learn why and how. It worked. Yeah. But at the time, absolutely. You just knew what you experienced and you knew what you felt and you knew that you were changed and you were different. Yes. So tell me a little bit about how that change has impacted and affected your life. Well, impacted, I don't think is a fair (laughs) word. It has completely, permanently changed everything. Mm -hmm. It has permanently changed every thought, every ambition, every desire. Um, I find myself, there's times, for example, like with, uh, with my family relationships, there's times where I might have a hard day at work or something and I'm tempted with the idea to be a little selfish time or slack off on a responsibility, but... The clarity that that, what I would call the atonement, mm-hmm. has had in my life has quickly got me to <laughs> second guess my selfish ambitions or desires and mm-hmm. quickly try to find out what would God want. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, if God was able to bless me with that, then how can I return the favor? Or how can I serve others? as he would want me to. Mm-hmm. And being an introvert and trying to live my own quiet life, um, like even being able to come to this podcast, yeah. <laughs> um, that has been a, that atonement moment has been a permanent motivator to get me to do things that I would find inconvenient or I may not naturally mm-hmm. be so inclined to do <laughs> so yeah 
the I think the real question is how is it going to affect my future or mm -hmm. what does my future life with that change look like versus if I never had it or if I wasn't willing to listen what would my backpack full of rocks life look like now mm. yeah that's yeah that's a good question I know if you had made the decision I'm just not gonna go I'm not gonna I'm gonna keep my backpack <laughs> <laughs> this is what's comfortable <laughs> yeah I've definitely been there with the backpack, for sure. I think everybody has, though, really. Everybody has their own rocks. And, their own rocks, yeah. And what I find interesting, too, is, like, our natural, like, tendency of, you know, from what we know, our own perspective, our own experiences is to, like you said, this is going to add to my rocks. I don't want to go to the funeral, you know? So that's, like, the natural inclination. I'm just going to stay home and... You know, I'm going to do what's easy. <laughs> yeah. Or what, what seems easy. But when in reality, the best thing for you was to temporarily add to your bag of rocks. I just find that interesting that we don't always know because we can't always see the big picture, you know. And so sometimes what's best for us is the hardest thing we can possibly do. But. Right. Because when... And to illustrate your what you're saying mm -hmm. with an analogy, when I was living my life before, mm -hmm. all I knew was the rocks. The rocks. Mm -hmm. I thought that was real life. Mm -hmm. right. And it was amazing to find out that, no, life without rocks is a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you can have no rocks. And so if someone, mm -hmm. if someone is currently going through a bag mm -hmm. of rocks life right now I don't think it has to be as something as big as having kind of an intervention from upstairs it could be mm -hmm. as simple as there might be a loved one that we can confide in or that we trust that mm -hmm. we love that maybe just maybe they have a no rocks perspective mm -hmm even though we might be living with our rocks. Mm -hmm. And if we were able to just maybe open our heart, open our mind, even just for a brief moment, and give it a shot. Mm -hmm. And very quickly you'll find out how we would play out. But you, mm -hmm. that would be my advice mm -hmm. for others going through a challenge. Yeah. yeah, it's really good advice. You know, it. I think sometimes we think that change is so hard and it's going to take so long, but it can be a simple moment. It can mm -hmm. be a simple thought mm -hmm. that can completely change the trajectory of our future and where we go. One, one simple thought, one simple moment. That would be mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow, this has been really awesome. Like, maybe you couldn't see it. I was kind of trying to hide it, but tears, like, whew. Okay, so we're back with just Julie and Julie. Um, and we just wanted to talk about this process of interviewing Dave and, and just how amazing it was. Man, I, this whole thing was so incredible to me. I was very impressed with the words that he chose. That's something that I really liked about him. He was able to explain things, at least to me, where I completely understood what he meant and what he was feeling. I don't know if you got that or not, but. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I feel like he, he talks in a way that's very clear and succinct, but also. Um, I, like, I remember some of the words that you really liked that we've talked about, like the word mingling and, mm -hmm. um, and they're just very concise words that are very descriptive and very mm -hmm. much kind of paint a picture. Exactly. Yeah. Which mm -hmm. is really helpful. And we just absolutely loved, loved, loved 
that metaphor of the backpack and how um how it really describes so well the experience and the emotional experience that mm-hmm. he went through in a way that's really easy to understand, right? We've all put on heavy backpacks mm-hmm. in life and we've all taken those off and we know what that feels mm-hmm. like in our body. True. Yeah. As soon as he started talking about the backpack full of rocks, like I put myself in my position, you know, I was there in my head with my own situation. So I don't know. It was just very, it was very cool. The metaphor, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what like makes writers good writers is when they can put you in the situation or meaning like they help you put yourself in the situation. And that's exactly what he did. I don't know if he meant to or not, but just the way he tells his story is just uh, he's very good at it. <clears throat> yes, it's super mm-hmm. powerful. We should tell Dave he should be a writer, huh? <laughs> well, and I just I really loved the kind of the process or the way that he explained his story, right? Like he kind of shared that he was going through kind of a really rough point at his life with both his faith and his relationship with his wife. And then he had this invitation to go to his mother's funeral. And he felt that extra heavy burden of the rocks. And then how he had that conversation with some people at church that helped him think about it in a new way and how that um, helped kind of lift that bag of rocks. And he was able to go and, and have kind of this transformative Mm -hmm. experience. And then to talk about the ways that it changed his perceptions, right? The way that it changed his mm-hmm. thoughts, the way that it changed the way he moved through life. Mm-hmm. And just to kind of hear that entire like process and how how much his faith kind of played that the role in helping him to get there. Right. Well, the interesting thing about the backpack is that, you know, it was something that he said he'd carried forever. And there were points where he didn't realize that he was carrying it. But the relief from the backpack, too, it wasn't instantaneous because he did go to the funeral and he still struggled after the funeral. But it was, I would guess, within hours. It wasn't clear to me whether he said next day or same day or whatever, but uh, it wasn't instant, but it was fairly quick. And it was just that change in perspective. Mm -hmm. And... I liked too how he talks about the bag of rocks and he says it, you know, it, that it was, it was just gone. Um, but he also, you know, talked about points where, you know, Goddard was lifting the backpack. It's like, it's still there, but it was lighter. And I think where he was able to start having healing from this is he was able to gain perspective possibly in his mother's favor. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, he certainly had the, I guess the impression or whatever, or the feeling that he just hated her in his his entire life um, up until that moment. Which makes so much sense, Mm -hmm. right? Like I just can't even imagine how difficult it would have been to live in that household and um, and all of the really rough experiences that that entailed. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, that that is hard. That is really hard. And it yeah. makes sense. There would be a lot of, of anger and, and hatred and mm-hmm. fear and all kinds of emotions all wrapped up. Of course, especially since and, he was experiencing it from day one. I know. I know. Yeah. And all the way to, to, until he was 12, that's a really long time. And those are very formative years. And, um, you know, he was lucky at 12 to have a really good, stable family situation. Um, but it's not like it was just a couple of years and then he was adopted at the age of three, you know, mm-hmm. like he, he remembers, you remember stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty well yeah. in those elementary you can in those elementary age years. Um, and yeah, well, and I, and I just really love Dave's experience of sharing his faith and how fundamentally important 
his faith was Mm -hmm. in this healing experience and how as he um, felt like he listened to God's direction for him, it led him on this journey, right? Mm -hmm. He wasn't seeking relief of the backpack. He didn't even realize he had the backpack on, Mm -hmm. Um, but he was struggling and he wanted to be, to be faithful, right? He wanted to follow God. And as he followed what he felt was the inspiration that he was receiving, Mm -hmm. he feels like God led him on that journey to have that backpack lifted up. Yeah. It was so incredible. I mean, just, I don't, again, I just, I don't have the words. Um, But so towards the end of this interview, we kind of shifted gears a little bit and he started talking about more of just his life philosophy and where he is now. And so we want to end with that. I would say my continual happy moment is being able to appreciate being in the moment with my wife and with my kids. Mm. So just uh, later today, we're going to head up to Heber, Utah for Swiss okay. days. Hmm. And my wife is going to get all excited about girly stuff and spending <laughs> money. But I'm excited because I'm going to be able to go and just hold her hand. Hmm. And so I'm going to have probably two hours <laughs> just being able to hold her hand. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not a care in the world, nothing else, but just being able to enjoy my relationship um and i guess maybe low expectations (laughs) (laughs) i i really feel like that is the key to happiness i think when you have no expectations there's really no way to get disappointed so in i guess kind of in a comical way uh when i was trying to when i was trying to call the shots on my own life Mm -hmm. um i was at best bag of rocks yeah (laughs) (laughs) but when you're trying to live god's life or i would just say a spiritual or Mm -hmm. uh, a life with faith a life with hope Mm -hmm. whatever however you want to explain it Mm -hmm. you find that you're not really calling the shots Mm -hmm. and i think that's where the healthy perspective of low or no expectations (laughs) comes in because you really don't know how the next corner of life is going to play out. Mm -hmm. But you can have full confidence with complete uh, satisfaction, complete excitement, complete happiness, knowing Mm -hmm. that being in the moment and enjoying your life with those that you love, that you're around, you live it up. Mm -hmm. So... That's where my happiness comes from yeah. continually. It's mm-hmm. not it's not necessarily a, a time or two event. Yeah, I like that. Well, and it sounds like you really take that time to try to mine those good experiences from the moment you're in in the present, right? Like I'm going to I'm going to be there with my wife and I'm going to just enjoy being able to hold her hand. And I think it's easy for us to start going through life so focused on what's going to happen in the future or what's happened in the past. You actually bring up a very good point because my expectation is being able to go and hold her hand for two hours. But after you say that, (laughs) what comes to mind is I get a unique situation to kind of see what she enjoys. So it's kind of like getting an enhanced bonus. So I get to enjoy being with her, but then I get to have more happiness or more satisfaction being able to have a window into her hobbies and crafts and whatever she's pursuing in Swiss days and be able to share extra happiness or satisfaction with her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and I like that you use the word satisfaction. Um, There's a a therapist named Rick Hansen, and he kind of talks about the three basic human needs that we have, and um, their safety, satisfaction, and connection, 
are those three kind of basic needs. And you can hear that in that, and just in that little story you share about going to Swiss days with your wife and holding her hand, that that's kind of the ultimate because you do have that safety and you have that connection and you have that satisfaction of just being in that place with her and enjoying her interests and what makes her happy and being there with her. Right. And with my earlier childhood, I didn't have any of those three. Yeah. And your Mm -hmm. life has kind of just come full circle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I love your story. I'm so glad that you shared it. Yeah, I'm so glad you were willing to listen to upstairs (laughs) and be here with us today. Well, I'm after the fact, I'm glad I was able to. (laughs) I know, it's always scary. I was kind of nervous beforehand, but no, I'm glad. I'm glad after the fact that it's out. So this is why we named it what we named it, the podcast. Because it takes courage, like seriously takes a lot of courage to share your story. And even, I mean, you shared it, sounds like, at church and stuff, you know. But sometimes just... But at church, that wasn't, that wasn't, I would say, by my wanting. It was... Yeah. Once again, that upstairs intervention. Yeah. That was the only reason because I, 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 yeah, it... It wasn't your intention. (laughs) Yeah. I just think it's really important because, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine there being a person that doesn't need to forgive because they're hanging onto their rocks, you know? And so, like, I don't know. I think we all, I, I just think it's helpful. And I think it makes us realize that there are other perspectives, you know? Yeah, I lived my whole perspective not knowing my birth Mm -hmm. mother's true perspective. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. And if you really wanted to be honest, Mm -hmm. ironically, none of it was her fault. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's mind-blowing to to think of. And it's even, if you're trying to hold on to your rocks, that makes it even harder to swallow. Mm -hmm. But when you're able to... Rocks are still there, but... when the weight has been lifted off. Right. When the weight's been lifted off, then I think that gives you pause to be able to open your heart and your mind to a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And then how does God God see us? Mm -hmm. Or what what is he thinking? Mm -hmm. And many times in the moment, it's impossible to even try to guess or to try to anticipate what it is, but I think it's... In hindsight, you can see the wisdom, God's wisdom, because mm-hmm. kind of like playing a chess game, He's moving the pieces well ahead of mm-hmm. any events actually playing out in our own perception. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and when you allow those pieces to be moved, and you can look back and see how it fit together, just oh, you, you, in the right way, you, you hit the gold mine. Mm-hmm. I when you're saying if if you're willing to allow those pieces to be moved, Mm -hmm. that is key. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that experience going to the funeral and having had kind of the upstairs tell you you needed to do it when you didn't want to and you were willing to listen, maybe reluctantly, but willing. And that does take courage. I mean, that's what courage is, is doing something even when we're afraid, even when we're reluctant, even when we're uncomfortable. But in that moment, and then seeing what came from that, it's given you so much more faith to, to take those steps, and it's not quite as uncomfortable. It's not quite as intimidating or scary or heavy in your everyday life now. Well said. <laughs> well said. Well, great. Well, we're so grateful to you yeah, thank for the you. time that you've taken and the and the courage that you've shared with us and um i really look forward to sharing this with our listeners and um i'm confident that that it's going to be beneficial to many many people yeah